hello everyone this is alex trimble from the alex trimble show and today is a special day not only for for me but for you because we're going to have the opportunity to hear from one of the most senior level leaders within the united states federal government a good friend of mine david ogia see david is currently serving as the acting director of the customer financial protection board or cfpb and Dave and I have a really great conversation about what does it mean to serve at that level? What does it mean to have a family and serve at that level? As well as, you know, how do you keep yourself out of that leadership bubble where you know you need to hear the truth about what's going on around you, but we also have to have the reality that most people aren't going to feel comfortable speaking those truths to you if they believe it's going to make you unhappy. So this is going to be a very enlightening conversation with this this phenomenal leader um, who I've known for years now. I'm telling you, he is not only a great leader, but he's a great friend. So I'm going to keep this introduction really short because I'm super excited to introduce you to my good friend, Dave. But I do want to remind you, stop by alextremble.com forward slash blog, where you can leave your reactions, your thoughts and ideas and responses to what our guests are sharing. There's a lot of great information on there. And I'd love to share with you all that information. And really, honestly, I want to hear back from you. <laughs> and don't just stop there. You can visit us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Alex Trumbull, A-L-E-X-T-R-E-M-B-L-E, where you can not only see what's going on in the room during these interviews, but you also have the ability to learn so much more. I post extra content on the YouTube page that I don't share on the podcast and vice versa. So please, please, please join me in welcoming my good friend, acting director of the CFPB, Dave Ugia. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble from The Alex Trimble Show, and I am so blessed to have a good friend with me today. Um, hey, how are you doing today, Dave? Uh, I'm doing great. It's nice to hear from you. Nice to be able to have a conversation. Hey, you know, Dave, um, everyone who's listening, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but this is nine o'clock at night that we are recording this. Um, <laughs> you've been busy all day, and this is a Saturday is this normal for you in this, in this, in your current role? Sure. I mean, it's, it's absolutely normal. And, you know, I mean, I think part of that is that I wear multiple hats, right? I mean, I have this big role, uh, but I'm also a father to two kids uh, and a husband to a wife. And I think particularly amidst the pandemic, the days just don't have enough hours, you know? And so it, it is, I think, very typical for me to spend uh, a big part of the day with my kids, uh, and then as they have gone to sleep, to pick up the laptop and and head right back to uh, to the work. So this is uh, this is pretty typical. So I I really love that we now started off this conversation like this. Um, from from my interactions with, with leaders and, and those aspiring to move more senior level positions, one of the things they've talked about is, you know, a a. a a push and pull, them wanting to grow in their leadership capacity, but also feeling like then they won't have time for life and or their family and whatnot. H how have you come to navigate this? Again, being in one of those senior level positions in the U.S. government, how can you navigate both? Well, and there's not an easy answer to that. I, I think what I would say is that I have had the benefit of progressively rising in my career and not all 
in one straight shot, right? I think my career has veered and taken me into different disciplines, different supervisory situations, certainly different uh, bosses uh, and challenges. And I think over time, the thing you learn is that you can only really control your decision-making, right? And so it's not really a, it's not really a muscle you build all at once, right? And, and so in each job you're in and throughout different times of the year and throughout the priorities and the crises at work, but also in your personal life, right? You know, those things command your time, uh, you know, and I've, I've had family members uh, who were uh, extremely ill. I've had family members pass on in a timely fashion, right? Like, those things also assert themselves in your life. It's not just what your boss is demanding of you or what the moment calls for in your agency. So I think by the time, you know, I feel very blessed and lucky that I've had enough reps with that muscle that when I moved into this job, trying to lift a weight, I'd never even close to lifted. It wasn't like I was starting out from zero, you know, uh, it's been more about calibrating that approach to the circumstances uh, than it has been about like, gee, I never thought about how to balance work life at this altitude, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and, and you, and you mentioned, um, you know, lifting a weight that you've never lifted before. And again, it makes complete sense. And I hear this a lot, like, you know, someone coming to someone else and saying, look, I think you're ready for this. Um, but then that's someone saying, I, I don't think I'm ready for this. And, and have, again, that internal struggle. When, when, when you were asked to fill this role, did you have any, any pause? Did, were, were you like, okay, I can do this. <laughs> it's not a problem. Or, or did, did, you, did you have to work your way into it? And, and how did you do that? How did you make that decision? Oh, I mean, I, I would hope that most people approach these unique circumstances with a uh, healthy dose of humility. You know, and that's certainly how I approached this. I mean, I think, because, you know, certainly uh, this was not anything that I had been seeking out, right? This is not actually anything I'd spent much time thinking about prior to being asked. Uh, and I, I think you should have a good dose of self-awareness and think really critically about what does it take to succeed in this role? what is going to be most valuable uh, or critical to success in the role? How do my strengths and weaknesses map onto this role? Uh, and, and from that, I'll say, I, I've really been very lucky in my career to be very proximate to many people in roles about the same size. You know, and I mean, I started my career staffing the HR director at the NIH, which you know, is, is part of their administrative operations function, but that's like a $70 million, 40, 400 person operation in its own right. You know, and, and throughout my career, I've worked closely with the NIH director, right? I've worked closely with the OPM director and the undersecretary for personnel and readiness at the Department of Defense. And so that proximity helps you approximate what you're getting into. And I'll tell you, like what I thought this might be, turned out not to be what it was. It was vastly harder and more complex than <laughs> even I guessed. Uh, yeah. But I'd like to think that I was within an order of magnitude, which I think is the best you can do if you're taking on a new leadership challenge is like, are you even in the ballpark, right? Um, and so 
when I, when I saw those things, I thought, you know, Hey, I had been working in the director's office across administrations for the better part of six years. I work in organizational strategy, uh, which is a discipline that allows me to know a little bit about a lot of things all the way across the policy and operational portfolio. Uh, ultimately decided to, to roll the dice on it and, and thought that I would be a credible candidate for this. Uh, so yeah, but, but, but absolutely you do the self-assessment, right? It, to me, at least it's not a kind of thing where you just have a gut feeling and you say yes or no. Um, so that's certainly how I approach it. Well, well, again, I'm going to keep kind of pulling on that, this thread you're, you're laying out there. Um, you talked about being in proximity, being being in a, in a spot where you can look and see what those individuals, what those influencers are doing and kind of having an idea of what their lives were like or what their work was like. Um, how did you go about putting yourself in proximity to those leaders? That's a great question. I mean, in some ways I, I got very lucky, right? <laughs> and I think c- coming into the federal space uh, <laughs> as a presidential management fellow was a wonderful opportunity. I will say that your mileage varies a lot on a program like that based on where you land and who's your boss and what's your role. Uh, and so, you know, I, at NIH has a reputation for a very well-developed, consistent program that's focused on developing you, which is great. Anytime you can put a thumb on the scale that people have an equity and an interest in developing you, that's all good, right? Like it's, it doesn't get better than that. Uh, and so from that, I was both able to gain some initial exposure to the HR director there uh, and was able to work on strategic initiatives, or if you like, or special projects, as you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. formal. Uh, And those opportunities are very important, right? Anytime you have an opportunity to take a problem that a principal doesn't have a logical person in mind to solve, which happens a lot, right? Oftentimes, wherever you work in government, there are functional silos and they do A and B and C and D. But the problems that are coming to leaders frequently cross cut those things. And so they don't have, oh, like it's Alex for that because, you know, Alex is a budget person. It's a budget problem. Those are easy, right? Like that's not where value is made. Mm-hmm. It's problems that are like, oh, here's a really thorny thing that crosses congressional oversight and budget and financial management and procurement. Who's going to do that thing? You know, and so you try and have your reputation be such that those things come to you and then you have to crush them, right? So that you're making such a strong impression on all people involved that even the people that might have thought they were the logical person grudgingly agree, oh, like Dave and Alex did something a little different on that. I can sort of see it now. I get Mm -hmm. it. Um, So I, I think being entrepreneurial about that work is critical. Uh, and then there's a bunch of roles that are sort of like that. You know, I, I have frequently served in roles that I will describe as staff roles, the roles that are in some respects loosely alike what you would find on the Hill, right? Where you're kind of a, uh, an, a best athlete, right? Working across a bunch of different things, but you're really trying to work directly for a principal. Um, you know, I did that at NIH for the HR director. I, uh, you know, pretty expeditiously ended up doing that work at the Bureau uh, and it, you know, it's, it's never, it's both lined up very well with my skill set, but those opportunities have been very, uh, effective and, and good for me too. Well, you know, um, you, you kind of got me thinking when, when we talk about opportunities, 
I mean, you, you made the point when, when and it's almost like naturally an opportunity to, to grow an opportunity to do something bigger, bigger, larger than yourself comes with more risk. Because again, if there was, if it was easy, it would be handled by someone else. Right. And so you have to feel comfortable putting yourself, if you want to, you know, have achieve these great things, you have to put your, yourself in more risk, more risk. Is that what you're saying? I think that's part of the territory. I think that's right. And, and I mean, I, I want to say that that doesn't mean that you are uh, an adrenaline junkie. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, you, correlation is not causation, right? Like you don't want to just blindly seek out risk. I think what I will say is that those opportunities to really deliver value to principles usually come amidst certain circumstances. Like think about it, you know, in, in a role like mine and even in a role like the one I had previously, when you're in the, the enterprise leadership of an organization, the only stuff that generally comes to you is the stuff that people beneath you can't figure out, right? And, and not because they're not smart enough. It's usually because they like very strenuously disagree, right? Um, and so... Typically, what that means is things coming to you are never easy, right? They are frequently, I will frame them as problems, not because I'm pessimistic, but they are frequently problems for the organization. Mm -hmm. And so those problems aren't problems if they don't have attached risk. <laughs> risk is just the distance between your agency getting blown up by Congress or not your agency violating any of a number of rules or laws governing its operation or not, your agency not doing what it needs to do to help millions of people or not. Those things, of course, come with associated risk. They also come with opportunity. There's two sides of the same coin, right? Like, I think what I would say is that it's more like the times when you can really shine are also the times when it can really cost, which means there are times when the stakes are high. And so for better or worse, because again, I'm the furthest thing you'll find from somebody who is, uh, I think, rash, you know, but, but I have throughout my career charted a course in which I frequently end up playing for high stakes. I, I think the reason why, and again, please correct me, uh, but the, the reason why you can do this, you can, you can play for these high stakes and you continue to do is because you have a strong why, I assume. Um, you, and you care about what you're doing. It, 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 am I overstepping to say, to say that? No, not at all. I mean, if anything, you're under, understepping, right? I mean, to me, it is frequently a matter of both intellectual and values-based concern for me that we get to the right answer. I'm relentlessly focused on solving problems for organizations and in this public sector in which we, you know, we inhabit, I'm relentlessly focused on solving problems for the American people, man. Like, and, and it is personal and it is emotional, right? It is not a purely intellectual matter to me that we make the correct decision about how to pursue violations of consumer financial law. You know, I am all in on that, right? And not because it's just a really thorny problem that I enjoy solving. You know, it, it's because it's 
fundamental and inextricably linked to who I am as a person. And I kind of feel like in its best and highest instance, that's what the calling of public service is, is the willingness to lease out a part of yourself to the American public and not in some broad umbrella way, like not just the 320 million people, like your family and your friends and your neighbors and the people you see in your community who are struggling. And if you don't have that fire, it's hard for me to see how you can sustain through some of those really tough things. You know, that that's certainly what animates me. And if that fire ever goes out, you'll see me leaving public service, man, because somebody with that fire ought to be in the roles that I'm able to be in. Yeah. Yeah. So you also make me think, um, I'm going to go and I'm going to go about this in a roundabout way. Um, so I just moved into um, an executive role in a nonprofit organization. And, you know, I'm looking at the organization and seeing there's some great opportunities um, at the same time, you know, it's going to cause change and not everyone's going to like it, regardless of if I'm doing it for the right thing, not everyone's going to like it. Not everyone's ultimately going to like me. And so I, I guess that's what I want to pose to you is how, how do you feel, again, being so passionate about helping and, and serving the American public, but also knowing that a lot of people are not going to like you simply because you have to make a decision and someone is not going to benefit from that. Like, how do you deal with it at that? How do you do that as a leader? Uh, that's, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think I can just speak for myself, right? Like I think a couple of things. One, that passion should really materialize as empathy almost all the time. Man. And, and I think that that is about really understanding that oftentimes where you uh, stand depends on where you sit. And that organizations are necessarily structured in a way that produces conflict, right? And I'll tell you, like, I want our enforcement team to most vigorously and aggressively and smartly defend consumers and think about the facts that they see and investigate them relentlessly and and develop uh, the best case to defend and, and ultimately provide redress for those concerns. And I want my general counsel to continuously hold the interests, the reputation and the integrity of the agency in mind so that the Bureau as an institution is durable and everlasting. Those both seem like really good things. I mean, they just are, they're both inherently good things. And nevertheless, lead people to disagree about individual things because they're optimizing for different things just the way you want them to, you know. And so I don't necessarily think, I I think a lot of unnecessary personal harm can be averted by simply respecting people for doing their darn job. You know, like they're oriented, you've asked them to optimize in a certain way. You shouldn't then complain that they've done so. And you should be as a leader showing them that that's largely what's driving things. Not that things are never personal, but frequently I think things get labeled as personal that are structural, Mm -hmm. you know? And then beyond that as a decision maker, 
I personally believe that it's best wherever possible to be transparent, to listen like heck. People deserve your time to really feel like you have understood their argument, whether or not they get decided correctly in their view. They understand generally that these are hard calls and that they're not coming to you if they're not hard calls. Uh, but you, you owe those people your full attention and your presence, right? And then as you're making that decision, I believe that it is valuable to both candidly explain where you are on the decision, why you might be leaning that way and how you are seeing the trade-offs there and balancing them. I think if you aren't clear with people about that, it's hard to fault them for plugging in the gaps. Maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe he's not committed to the mission. Maybe he got backed off on this because the heat would be too much. Like, you know, and if, look, if you're making a decision purely based on that, you should still be transparent. But, but I think table stakes, you owe people the contours of the decision. That way they don't feel like it's personal, you know, because it, it ought never to be personal uh, in these things. Thank you for tuning in to The Alex Tremble Show. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Federal open season is over, but you can apply for WEPA life insurance year-round. WEPA has been insuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEPA can be used as a supplement or a replacement for Fegley and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WEPA Group Term Life Insurance and see how much you could save by visiting WAEPA.org today. And now back to The Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble. So interestingly enough, um, I, I've served in a number of capacities throughout my career um, where I worked for principals and other individuals who also worked for the principal didn't necessarily feel comfortable always telling that principal what they actually felt because they, they're the boss, they have the power. And so they would normally talk to me and I try to have those conversations to kind of maybe filter some of that stuff. Um, and so you're right now you're talking about that, that transparency, you're talking about, you know, trusting, you know, trusting people and communicating as much as you can with them. But how do you, again, again, in your agency, it doesn't get any more quote unquote power than you. How do you make sure that people feel comfortable enough to, to speak to you when they don't necessarily agree or they really think they need to make, um, a, a push for a, a particular action, they don't, again, this is talking to your boss. Like, how do you stop people from, from sheltering you? How do, how do you stay out of a bubble, I guess? No, it's a great, it's a, that's, it's a brilliant question. And, and I actually don't think you can uh, to any full degree. I think that that's probably a misconception. I, I think the best you can do is know that that is the case. Like there, as the principle of the agency, it is inherently risky for any person in the organization, even your directs, to tell you things you don't want to hear. It just is, man. And like, you can say, oh, you should be approachable and you should, you know, like, yeah, of course. But I, I think we're lying to ourselves about the nature of organizations if we don't make that a truth of the organization. I think there are two 
maybe three ways that you could solve for that. I mean, one, you just have to relentlessly ask for dissenting feedback. You, you have to, you have to make it safe in the meetings. You have to be pounding that drum all the time, inviting it, opening channels for it. You know, I, uh, when I first started acting, I immediately asked our folks in strategy and our consumer experience office, um, you know, our, our customer experience office to design a series of pulse surveys because I wanted to hear from Lion staff, right? Uh, and to their credit, like I, you know, we posed three questions. We did one about my priority on COVID-19 response, one about the priority on racial equity, and one about our organizational culture. And from those surveys, just one question, right? One question, one box answer. Uh, we got over 500 responses mm-hmm. uh, out of our 1500 person workforce. Uh, and that was really heartening to me, you know, not so much about me at all, like actually not at all about me, but that we had created a channel that people felt was reliable and trusted and safe enough, right? And curated an initial relationship with the staff that they were willing to do that, even though, yeah, it was anonymous, but like if people don't trust you, they're not gonna give you their time. Their time is the most valuable asset they hold, right? Um, so yeah, you do that, you feel good about it, and you have to set up a structure and a team around you of people who have the trust and faith of the organization, people that are approachable, because you know, like you said, man, like some people aren't ever going to tell the director that they think that what he's doing is a profoundly bad idea. But you want an environment in which they might tell the chief of staff, right? Or they might tell the deputy chief of staff or the CFO, mm-hmm. or whoever that constellation is of people that they see as being, you know, having integrity, uh, having aligned to the director, right? Like you need to make sure there is an ecosystem. And I think a lot of principles probably go in with this command and control, like iron fist idea. It's like the worst thing you can do to build trust in an organization. You know, you want people in some instances, you want people to take things to your team that they won't take to you. Cause it's not like if you crush that, they're going to take them to you. They're just never going to take them anywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the last thing you can do, and it's hard to do is an acting, but I think the thing that is most instructive is for people to see you uh, two things when they are dissenting and you are movable, that is meaningful, right? You say, you know what? You made me see this problem in an entirely different way. I was going to do X, but now I'm going to do Y. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that that signal and that you, you celebrate that and you also don't, um, you know, so you celebrate that. And then if, and when you do that and it doesn't work out, you take complete ownership and control of that decision. You don't blow them up for providing you dissenting feedback that in this singular instance turned out to not quite be the right thing, right? Um, But that takes time. I I think that's the kind of thing that you do over the course of weeks, months, and years. Um, But, but, you know, it's happened to me, you know? I mean, I think even even over these five months, we've had things where I've taken advice, it's gone sideways, and I've thanked the person for that advice, and I've owned the sidewaysness. That to me is the essence of leadership, but it's also how you build the trust that's necessary to get the perspectives you need. So, you know, I, I, I love this line of questioning and I, and I don't want us to stay too quote unquote serious for too long. So what, what I want to do is maybe take a little bit of a turn and say, man, I've known you for a long time. <laughs> I've known you for a long time, brother. I, I, I remember actually, you know, us heading to lunch. I won't say the exact place, but I'm not sure if we can, but we were in lunch in Chinatown um, talking. You were giving me advice and mentoring me. And I, I look back and, and say, wow, like 
I didn't know this was going to, I couldn't imagine this. Could you have imagined that you were going to be here today? At any point in your life that you say, oh, you know what? I'm probably going to be the director of an agency one day. (laughs) No, not at all, man. I mean, look, this is, you know, I don't know. It's like some sci-fi movie, right? Where there's like 10,000 branch realities. This just happens to be my one. Like, I think, I think if you ran it 10,000 times, it'd probably happen like five. Um, but it happens to be the world I live in. So, you know, I'm just going with it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Dr. Strange in uh, uh, Endgame, right? You know, he, he ran all the different scenarios and this is the scenario. Um, I, it, <laughs> it, so it makes me think, um, you know, as you rose through the, the chain, because you kept getting more and more opportunities to, to lead and make significant impact. Um, it, it made me think about, the list. I'm not sure if you can, if you have one of these, but you know, as you move through your career, did you keep like kind of tabs on people who are like, oh, I really like working with her. I really like working with him. If I ever get an opportunity, I'm gonna make sure I work with them again. Like, did you ever develop again, not a literal list, but did you kind of spotlight people throughout your career and try to find ways to work with people? Oh, of course. I mean, absolutely, man. I mean, I think, I think. Look, I, I love sports. You know, I don't have any time to follow it anymore because I got kids. But, you know, I, I think there's so many great lessons about leadership and teamwork from sports like that are just obvious. Uh, and it is clear to me that, you know, wherever you stand on somebody like LeBron James or, uh, you know, great players want to play with great players, man. Because <laughs> it on there's, there's these kind of music you can only make if everyone's great and on the same page, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I have had tremendous people to work for. I have generally tried to choose my bosses and I've, I've turned down opportunities because I chose not to based on a boss. Uh, you know, I think the temptation is to paint our careers in like a very linear way, but like my career is not linear at all. And I mean, we won't, we don't have time, but like there's plenty of jobs I applied to and didn't get. <laughs> there's plenty of jobs where I was the, the runner up man. And you know, I had people pushing me on to climb to be a GS 15 and, you know, a certain number of years. And I made, I took several laterals. Like it's just not the case that this is like a straight shot up. You know, I, I think with that said, I am a person who has always believed you can't get anything done in an organization without other people. Right. And actually one of my strengths has been to identify, assemble, and then lead truly exceptional teams. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I do have a list <laughs> of people I would <laughs> love to work with again that I willingly work for, you know, uh, some of those are people that used to work for me, you know, and, and that it's going to flip one of these days and that there's no shame in that. man. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I obsess about talent. Thank you. Can, can you say a little more about choosing your own boss? This is something that I am a huge believer in. But I don't know if I'm not sure how many people actually have maybe heard that that um, that phrase and or even know how to do it. Like, what does that mean to you? And, and how would you go about doing something like that? I mean, it's tricky when you're earlier in your career because you you lack the information. Right. And also, like, you, you got to get paid. Right. <laughs> like, You got to pay the bills. That, that stuff makes sense. And so I think that it is difficult. But but even then. Right. Like. I know what kind of work styles I can work with. And I've worked for many different bosses, by the way, right? Like with many different idiosyncrasies and strengths and weaknesses. But I also know the kinds of things 
that I don't like, you know? And so I'll give you an example. Like some years ago, I was the leading candidate for a role, like really good media role, right? Strategy plus finance um, at a scientific research agency in the government, scientific agency. Uh, And did the whole thing, interviews, met people, um, but really did my homework on the head of this organization, you know, not to whom I would report, but who is going to be the North Star of my constellation, you know? And I learned very quickly that this was a person uh, who did not really appear to listen, but mostly this was a person who, when they became emotional, uh, were, had a habit of mistreating staff. They would yell, they might throw things. And I got to tell you, Alex, like, at, at that point in my career and ever since, it, this, the, the balance of who needs who has shifted a little. And, you know, again, like pr- principles are principles and they have tremendous responsibilities. I understand that now better than ever, but I, in that instance, felt like I didn't need to work for somebody that was going to yell at me all the time mm-hmm. and that I was good enough that I didn't need to because there were other things I could do to serve the American public short of that one role. Uh, you know, was that the right decision? I don't know, but I don't, I don't ever think about it, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so I, I think, I think the temptation is to think, oh, when I'm the hiring manager, I do the references. I, uh, I find out the informal references. I leverage my network to glean their reputation. Those things work up too, man. And actually leaders have nowhere to hide. Their references are a lot easier. To do. So that's, that's my uh, advice. So, so I, I do have two questions for you. Um, um, one, one is a personal question. So, I, so one of my plans is to be able to interview um, a, a substantial number of like cabinet level secretaries and directors. Cause I want to kind of understand how their lives and work, work works. And so I guess my question in regards to that really quickly is um, I assume, you know, there, they, when we're talking about influence, we're talking about, um, generally talking about like influence people who are maybe reporting to us, maybe influencing people who are the same level as us, and maybe influencing people who are a little, a little higher than us. Um, but how do you go about influencing people who also have a lot of influence, right? I feel like that may be, is, is it different at all? Like have, have you had to think about how you, when I say influence, it's like, you know, how do you build relationships? How do you make them want to work with you versus have to work with you or decide not to work with you? Like, has, has anything changed since you've had to move at, work at this level? Honestly, not totally. You know, I, I think that the successful approach that I have developed, it, what's worked for me around influence is pretty straightforward, right? Like, it, it goes back to that sports analogy. Like, people want to play with you because you elevate their game and because it's fun. And that's it, man. <laughs> you know? And I think that, yeah, that means that you should be strategic. You should think through what does this person really need? What's, what's their life really like? I think putting yourself in their shoes is such a valuable skill. And I'll tell you, as a person who's an acting principal, they don't have time, man. They don't have time to think about anything in the way that they could if they were a couple levels down. So what are you bringing that's going to make their life a little better, a little easier, make their decisions a little crisper, you know, as a collaborator? And it's not purely transactional, but I respect you in taking the time to think about what your needs are, you know, 
And then that allows us to collaborate, like really collaborate. And, and I mean, I, you know, look, I've, I've been very entrepreneurial in seeking out uh, partners and colleagues at other agencies. And, you know, we are an independent agency. So I think there's been nothing but respect across the administration about our independence. But my inclination is to say like, look, we will police our own independence. We can police our interests, but we have a need. We have a need to reach people who don't know that they have protections under the law and you have a vaccine distribution channel that go is, you know, goes through 14, you know, 1400 sites all across this country. We should get together on this, you know, and it's good for you and it's good for us and it's good for the American people. People respond to that. man, And, and that I think has really, I've been really heartened to see that that, that same place still works at this level. Well, I, I'm going to throw um, two questions at you. Then we're going to start wrapping up. Um, Kyle, again, I want to respect your time and let you get back to your family. Again, it's so late. Um, I just want to ask you, what is the most fun thing you, you've done or experienced in this role? And then if you can share, what's like the most significant thing you've learned in this role? I know there's two questions and I'll give you a second if you need to think about it. I mean, the most fun thing I've done has been to crisply set priorities, to kind of take my own medicine, right, as a strategist. You know, I, I had spent, you know, five or six years kind of preaching the gospel of strategy and focus. And to be able to do it and have it work and resonate with my staff, with the American people, but mostly with my staff, right, that I could say, look, we're going to do two things. We are going to really tackle head on the harms that are being faced by American families from this pandemic. And we are going to confront with all its messiness in a very aggressive way, the problem of racial injustice in this country. And anything that's not one of those things, I'm going to ask you to pause. We're going to deprioritize it. I don't want you to do it. <laughs> really not do it. Not, not and, but this, not any of that, right? Just like we are going to be disciplined. Um, and to have that really, I see land so well with the staff who are like, yes, we can do this. We hear you. We're going to hustle. Even though you're acting, right? Like, um, has just been gratifying beyond anything I can even express to you. Um, and then the thing I've learned is that these jobs are just incredibly hard. You know, the number, you know, I, I, I had spent all this time Right, 10 plus years, largely advising principals about aspects of the decision-making process, sometimes facilitating that process right, in a very robust way, I thought. But the magnitude of the decisions that have come to me <laughs> and the complexity attached to them has kind of like scrambled egg to my brain, man. Like, it, there's <laughs> no way to be prepared for that when you're trying to decide things about what constitutes adequate protections for people with respect to foreclosure? What is the nexus of the Bureau's uh, authorities and the very real problem uh, of, of 11 million households facing housing insecurity amidst an unprecedented pandemic? Like, I can tell you, I didn't used to sit around thinking about things at that magnitude, yeah. and now I have to. That's all that comes to me, you know? So that it's been incredibly humbling. Um, but also um, 
that responsibility, that trust and responsibility has been incredibly rewarding. Man, that, that, I, I've learned so much from you today. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I know everyone who's listening is, is, is writing, making notes right now. Um, so I want to do is right now is open the floor back up to you. Is, is there anything, anything that you'd like to share as we begin to wrap up? Thoughts, ideas, anything you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, uh, two things. I mean, I think, you know, look, it, Public Service Recognition Week is nearly upon us. And I know there's a week for a lot of things, but I think particularly for all of those of you out there that are listening, that are in the civil service or ever have been, that calling is real. That like reason that you took that first job is real. And that brings with it rewards, hopefully, you know, intrinsic rewards and opportunity and responsibility to our neighbors and friends. But don't ever let anybody tell you that that's not real. Don't let the cynical part of your brain tell you that's not real because that's all there is, you know, and it's, I think it can come and go and it can wax and wane, but don't get gaslit about that. Like public service is a high calling. Uh, And the fact that you're doing it or have done it, I have nothing but love and respect for that. Um, and then the other thing I'll say, and also box a tiny bit, but I, I think that particularly in, in this administration in these times, there is a very real and important and overdue conversation about racial injustice in this country occurring. And I would encourage you to find your feet, to be a part of that. And I don't want to presuppose about your audience. I think many members of your audience have been fighting these fights longer than I have been or more knowledgeable about it than I am. Uh, but I can say this to me feels like one of those moments where we all have to link arms and push, you know, and you don't have to be out front. Like those folks who have suffered the most, who are most well acquainted with the costs of structural discrimination, rightly should be centered, rightly should have the megaphone. But there's a role for everybody. You know, the, racial injustice has existed since the inception of this country, and it is going to be the work of generations to unwind. Uh, that, that's as much a part of our obligation as public servants as anything else. Uh, and I would encourage people to keep fighting that fight as well. Thank you so much, Dave, for, for, for spending your, your very valuable time with us tonight, um, sharing just your leadership lessons and your experiences and, and where you believe that some of us can make some little changes in our life that can make not only us do better as individuals, but again, better serve our communities and those around you. What, what I would do is, as I always do, is if you found anything of value today, remember, don't keep it to yourself. Remember, don't just look back, reach back, find someone who can value, who can learn from what was shared today. And you share it with them, whether it be a colleague, a friend, a sister, a brother, a family member, whoever it may be, don't keep this to yourself. If you found value of it, value from it. And again, I always ask that you share this message and reach out and ask questions. I'd love to have great questions to ask our future guests. As I end every session, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. Thanks, Dave. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today. Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.